yes, hello. Hello, hello. Hey everybody, welcome to the Arch Independent Show. I am Tommy, I am the host, and it is April, and that means it's episode four, springtime for podcasts in Germany. So much to discuss, I'm not even sure where to begin, I guess with the laptop Yeah, the Hunter Biden laptop story. That has come back around again here recently because some large media outlets got around to correcting their initial reporting on the Hunter Biden laptop story. But it was already a historical event, and I want to document what it is that I think makes it so historical because it really doesn't have anything to do with Hunter Biden or his laptop. That's not the historical significance at all. I guess they're notable elements of the story, but the historical nature of the Hunter Biden laptop story is how media and tech responded to it. We all got to watch this real-time example of how politicians and bureaucrats work with media to wage massive disinformation campaigns. Then we got to see how the tech platforms will step in to act as enforcers protecting the narrative. There's really so much here to study. It's mass communication, social psychology, there's questions about legal and regulatory frameworks. It was a historical event. It was quite literally all of that manufacturing consent stuff that we had been talking about on this show. There it is, right there, right in front of everyone. Brute force misinformation. The fake narrative is essentially bolted to the front of a Mack truck, and then that fucking truck just smashes into all of us. I mean, listen to this. A really fishy story. The Post claimed that the emails were found on a laptop computer that was brought to a repair shop in Delaware in the spring of 2019. A really fishy story. For all we know, these emails are made up. The information found on the laptop may be part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Part of a Russian uh, disinformation uh, effort. A really fishy story. Described by many intelligence experts as having hallmarks. All the hallmarks, hallmarks rather. All the hallmarks of a Russian. Or Russian, Russian disinformation. Russian disinformation. Disinformation campaign. This is a classic example of the right-wing media machine. Russian disinformation. That was the narrative that nearly all large media went with in October of 2020. And to any reasonable person, I think that was dubious from the start. First off, the Biden family has a rather well-documented history of selling influence and self-dealing. And Hunter Biden has a rather well-documented history of being a problem child. And then, of course, the primary details revealed from the laptop, the kickback payments from a corrupt Chinese oil executive immediately checked out as accurate. I mean, the pieces fit and losing a laptop 
full of illicit business data, that's exactly the type of behavior that a reasonable observer would expect from Hunter Biden. Now, on the other hand, there was a competing theory. And the competing theory was that Russia somehow made a fake Hunter Biden laptop, then gave it to the Republicans as part of their sinister plot to disrupt U.S. elections. Oh my God, now that is a kooky conspiracy. But that was the Mack truck narrative that crashed into all of us. Russian disinformation. It's just so stupid. And it sounds a lot like the old Russia collusion thing, doesn't it? In fact, the document that media most often cited to support their Mack truck of Russian disinformation narrative was a letter from, quote, former U.S. intelligence officials, end quote. And the first name on the list of signatories on that letter is James Clapper. Yes, the former director of national intelligence, the man who is probably most well known for lying to Congress about the surveillance apparatus of the U.S. intelligence agencies, that James Clapper. And he is followed by really a who's who of Section 702 ghouls, John Brennan, Mike Hayden. That's the foundation the media went with. That's the underpinning of all of their misreporting. Anyway, I'll post a link to the letter and all the other materials discussed today over on the show board at archindependent.com. All the hallmarks of a Russian, or Russian, Russian disinformation, Russian disinformation, disinformation campaign, Russian disinformation, more like domestic disinformation, homie, what a world. However, I do appreciate the historical nature of these events, and I enjoy documenting how this all played out, because in the weeks leading up to an election, the biggest U.S. media and tech companies did work for a political party. They snuffed out a legitimate story because it was damaging to their nominee. I mean, corporate and state powers coalescing to control the distribution of information in an effort to advance their political agenda. You like that? You like that. That's the historical nature of the Hunter Biden laptop story. I mean, obviously, not everyone is paying attention to these kind of political events, but in the larger context of world history, this is a really succinct example of modern fascism. And usually, I think fascism is a cringe word, and it gets thrown around when it doesn't apply, but here, I do not think that it's an exaggeration or a misstatement. We can clearly observe alignment of corporate and state power, and we see how that fully aligned political, media, tech apparatus is used to control the discourse at mass scale. In studying those behaviors, I believe what we see 
is correctly described as a modern form of fascism. The individuals that sit atop this political media tech alignment, they provide us with indisputable evidence that they believe in the rule of elites, and they are the elites. They have essentially a complete contempt for electoral democracy. There is no respect for the wisdom of the ordinary. There is nothing but disdain for the great unwashed and how the great unwashed might vote to govern themselves. Hence, we see these ever-growing demands for the subordination of individual rights and interests to the greater good. And the greater good is determined by the elites that sit atop this corporate state power structure. Those are the basic building blocks of a fascist regime. Again, not looking for cringe words, not doing crazy rhetoric here, but those are the behaviors that we're all observing. Unfortunately, I don't think it's very good, but I do think the universe has a hell of a sense of humor because we just went through this era where there was all that cartoonish resistance and the game show host was supposed to be the ultra mega villain. And then you follow that up with this hideous and brazen merger of corporate and state power to shove decrepit Joe Biden into office. Uh, I'm like, what a show. I mean, the universe dropping a little one-two comedy punch on everybody. That's the good shit. And to hopefully blend that all into a documentary of this place in time here in the spring of 2022, the Hunter Biden laptop story is just one of many examples that all have the exact same theme. All of those elements of manufactured consent, mass formation psychosis, there is a political media tech apparatus and they run coordinated mass-scale disinformation and censorship campaigns. But we're not here to cry over spilt milk. We don't have to get all twisted over it. We can make fun documentary podcasts instead. But it is not like all of those media voices that we were hearing. They did not just accidentally get the Hunter Biden laptop story wrong. It wasn't all shucks. The tech companies thought they were doing the right thing when they deplatformed the New York Post. So I do think it's important to call it what it is and recognize it as such a clear historical example of coordinated mass scale disinformation and censorship. Yeah, the New York Post got deplatformed for accurate reporting about the Hunter Biden laptop while simultaneously a blatantly fake narrative about Russian disinformation was amplified everywhere. And that is one for the history books. But the universe continues to show just a wonderful sense of humor. So let's finish the segment by heading over to the Chuckle Hut because just recently, Mr. Elon Musk made an attempt to buy Twitter. Of course, there were some folks in that political media tech apparatus who were not happy about that. I mean, potentially losing control of one of the cogs in their narrative machine, that's a little troubling. 
And to be clear, I'm not saying that Elon Musk is any type of savior for the people. That dude's a businessman. He makes money. He exploits loopholes. If you don't follow such things, I encourage you to check out our homie Elon and some of the very real and very serious liability he faces for Solar City shareholder fraud. Just one example of the type of corporate malfeasance that someone like Mr. Elon Musk might get into. But back over here at Funny Bones, just by making an offer to buy Twitter, we're going to have lawsuits. Oh, baby, people are getting sued. And it doesn't matter how the proposed Elon Musk transaction goes. He can buy Twitter. He cannot buy Twitter. He can fall somewhere in between. But hilarity is going to ensue. And damn it, who would want it any other way? Okay, so what is actually on the Hunter Biden laptop? As I've said, I don't think it's the primary element of the Hunter Biden laptop story, but since it's the Hunter Biden laptop story, maybe I should discuss what is actually on the laptop. And the short answer is everything that Hunter Biden saved to it. And that has turned out to be quite a bit of stuff. Let me start by saying that I am not really interested in discussing all of it. I have touched on this on previous shows, but let me make a couple of general statements. It is well known that Hunter Biden has some pretty serious substance abuse problems, and he documented some of those habits on his phone, and since the phone was synced, some of that stuff ends up on the laptop. There have been numerous pictures released, selfies of Hunter doing various drug-related things, and the British tabloids have actually been the most prolific publishers of those, the Daily Mail, the Sun. The pictures are out there. I'm not going to hassle Hunter Biden over his crack habit. I do acknowledge that someone of lesser privilege might be prosecuted for some of the drug content in Hunter's selfies, but I'm not going to take shots at him over his habit. Also, apparently, Hunter really enjoyed filming porn on his phone. I mean, hey, who doesn't? And a lot of that has been released as well. That's kind of a shitty thing to do. I mean, check it out if that's your kind of thing. But I am not going to take shots at Hunter over his kink. I'm not interested in any of that tabloid stuff about Hunter's drug habits, about Hunter's sex habits. However, I am interested in what corrupt business Hunter and the Biden family were doing. And there turns out to be some really clear and convincing elements of said corrupt business on the laptop. Put simply, Hunter is one of the bagmen for the Joe Biden grift, and he has been for several decades now. In this specific Hunter Biden laptop case, we see that the Biden family was running a scheme with a Chinese oil company. If you're not down with the Beltway K Street two-step on this, the Bidens act as broker-dealers for investments. In exchange, Hunter takes an upfront payment Plus, the whole crew gets equity shares, including 
10% for the big guy. The corrupt Chinese oil executive involved in the laptop deal, he's going to get charged later in an unrelated African bribery fraud scam. But you get the gist. To the extent that people care about political corruption, and I don't think that most people do, the laptop is just an exclamation point on the Biden family self-dealing. It is a really well-established pattern. And it's been done a million times by a million politicians. It's just here in the Hunter Biden laptop story, it happens to be the Bidens. The framework of the scheme is pretty easy to follow. A foreign company hires a Biden bagman. This time, it was via retention of a Biden investment broker-dealer firm. Other times, they'll appoint a Biden as a board member, or they'll hire a Biden as an executive. Whichever way they set up the affiliation, once they're on board, the Bidens will then use their influence to steer government grants or contracts to their new company. Or depending upon the client, they might be lobbying for visas or to lift sanctions. And for these services, the Bidens take an upfront payment plus an equity share for their troubles. Actually, let me get a fresh voice in here who can give us some quick documentary about the Biden family grift. Peter Schweizer is an investigative journalist. He's a best-selling author. He's an expert in government accountability. He's my kind of guy in the sense that he uses all source documents. He does investigative research on government accountability via open records. He is a self-identified conservative for whatever that may be worth, but I have not seen him slant his findings based on who the info might help or hurt. I highly recommend his books. He covers illicit activities by both parties, and I think for government accountability enthusiasts like myself, Schweizer is among the gold standards of how to research and document findings. And with that, here is Mr. Peter Schweizer. Let's talk finally about uh, another individual who, uh, again, is out there. He's having a little bit of trouble right now, but Joe Biden. Anybody know Joe Biden fans out there? All right, yeah, there, there's a few. Not quite as many as Bernie and, and Elizabeth Warren. He's not quite as popular on campus. But Joe Biden, to my mind, sets the record for the scale and scope of corruption in Washington, D.C. And look, I've been doing this for a long time. I've investigated Republicans. I've investigated Democrats. Uh, there are a lot of bad things that go in Washington, D.C. It's hard to find somebody that has been more corrupt than Joe Biden in both the scale and the scope of what he's done. Now, what exactly do I mean by that? Well, think about it this way. You've heard of the Jackson Five. I'm going to talk about the Biden Five. Now, <laughs> they don't sing as well as the Jackson Five, and I don't think Joe has the moves that Michael had. Um, but the corruption efforts are quite extraordinary. And keep in mind that Joe Biden has been in the Senate since 1972, and then, of course, became Vice President of the United States. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm working on a cold here. Um, so the Biden Five, who are they? It's his son, Hunter Biden. You've all heard about Hunter Biden, right? Uh, you've got his brother, James. You've got his brother, Frank. You've got his uh, daughter, Ashley. And you've got his sister, Valerie. All of them have profited in corrupt ways 
through government service. So let's begin with Hunter Biden. You all probably have heard and know the story about Burisma and Ukraine and the fact that Hunter Biden was given a gig in Ukraine that paid him a million dollars a year for a job he had no qualifications for and no background in the energy sector and no background in Ukraine. But what you really need to know is this is not just a story of him getting favorable treatment because his name is Biden. There's a timing here that's absolutely key in so many of the stories about the Bidens. So think about this for a second. February of 2014, Vladimir Putin moves into Crimea in Ukraine, setting off the entire crisis that we have there now. A month later in March, Barack Obama, President of the United States, says, Joe Biden, the Vice President, you are going to be the point person on U.S. policy towards Ukraine. All aid dollars are going to flow through you. You are going to have the final say on Ukraine policy. That's in March of 2014. Two weeks after he's appointed is when Hunter gets his gig. Two weeks. Now, do you believe that's a coincidence? I certainly don't think it is. And it fits the pattern of what you see again and again with the Bidens, which is they're cashing in to the access of what Joe Biden does. Consider another example of what Hunter Biden engaged in. And that's in December of 2013, he flies with his father on Air Force Two to Beijing, China. Joe Biden meets with communist officials for three days. He actually gets criticized by the Washington Post for being soft on the Chinese. We don't really know what Hunter was doing there because he was not part of the public agenda. But 10 days after they come back, Hunter's little small financial firm secures a $1 billion private equity deal with the Chinese government. Not with a Chinese bank, not with an American bank in China, with the Chinese government. And to tell you how bizarre this is, according to the Chinese themselves, no other financial institution in China had this deal. Not Goldman Sachs, not JP Morgan, not Deutsche Bank, not Morgan Stanley. The only institution that had it is this small financial firm run by the vice president's son, who, by the way, has no background in China, just like he had no background in Ukraine and has no background in private equity. Let me talk a little bit about Joe Biden's brother, James, to just give you another taste for how this works. In November of 2010, a longtime friend of the Bidens named Kevin Justice goes to the White House and has meetings in Joe Biden's office. We don't know what was discussed, but we know the meeting took place based on White House visitors' logs. Three weeks after that meeting, this new construction company started by this friend, it's called Hillstone International, announces that Joe Biden's brother, James Biden, is the new executive vice president. Now, this must be a family habit because just like Hunter had no experience in Ukraine and no experience in China, James has no background in construction. James has no background doing large project construction, but he's now the executive vice president of this newly minted construction company. What happens six months later? This firm lands a $1.5 billion contract funded by taxpayers to build 100,000 homes in Iraq, and there are other contracts to follow. Do you see how this works? Do you see how this happens? All right, Pete. Good work, buddy. Still not really sure how much people care about this type of corruption. 
And I know that presenting them with facts and logic is not a good way to reach them. But still, the Art Independent Podcast, dedicated to documentary style. Hey now, how about some quick hitters? That's right, it's a quick hitter segment. Number one, the Wuhan COVID lab leak. Oh boy, there's a story. But the quick hitter update is recently disclosed emails that were obtained via open records laws have showed that in early 2020, virologist Charles Kalisher was telling his colleagues that the origin of the COVID-19 virus certainly could be a lab leak. Further, they were discussing the highly specific spot in the virus sequence where the chain was likely altered by human scientists. However, As you may recall, at the very same time, in early 2020, these virologists were telling the public that COVID definitely came from a bat. That's right, Dr. Charles Kalisher was co-author in a Lancet publication, which included statements such as, quote, We stand together to strongly condemn conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin, end quote. (laughs) I know, right? These newly released emails are just the latest documents obtained under open records laws that show how many of our leading scientists immediately thought a lab leak origin was not only possible, but they were already discussing where the alteration in the sequence was likely made. But for whatever reason, in public, those same scientific voices were condemning anyone who didn't say COVID came from a bat. And Without a shred of integrity or independent investigation, the large media just went along with it. You may recall that the tech companies even stepped in as enforcers, and accounts that questioned the bat origin theory were promptly suspended. Quick hitter number one, the Wuhan lab leak. Homies, look at this through line. A completely dishonest narrative is driven into everyone on a Mack truck, while legitimate questions are called conspiracies and banned by the tech enforcers. That sounds familiar. And I guess quick hitter 1A, because it is also pandemic related, is the federal transportation mask mandate was recently struck down in court. Um, As we have covered fairly extensively, I think here on this show, this was the same pattern as essentially all the mandate cases from the Diocese of Brooklyn right up through the OSHA mandate. The court has repeatedly asked the government, 
show what data you relied upon to create this mandate. And consistently, the CDC has had nothing to show. It's kind of incredible. I mean, this far into the pandemic and the CDC has zero trials on cloth masking and measured spread on airplanes. <laughs> I know. The transportation mask mandate is completely random. In a lengthy opinion, almost 60 pages, the judge set forth why the mandate was illegal and most notable among the reasons was count number three, the arbitrary and unscientific rulemaking by the CDC. They never generated any evidence. It's stunning. It's hard to get my head around it. The CDC completely failed at its only purpose. Even worse, by having no data-driven decisions, the CDC turned what should have been a scientific question into a political question. <laughs> in the absence of legitimate data, people filled in the void with crazy rhetoric and panic, when really, nobody fucking knows because the CDC never ran a cohort. Do cloth masks protect the vulnerable on a plane? Fuck, man, who knows? We do know the CDC could not show the court any legitimate data to support their mandate. And the CDC had a social contract to use their resources to reduce uncertainty. Instead, they fucked around, and now the whole mask thing is just another stupid political faction war. And the people who have been most deeply impacted by the virus, I think they deserve a lot more respect than that. But quick hitter 1A, the complete failure of the CDC. Quick hitter number two, the Governor Whitmer FBI entrapment case. Oh my lord, this case. Homies, ahead of the 2020 election, the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, was using its resources to stage a fake kidnapping plot of the governor of Michigan. <laughs> oh my God. The remaining defendants in that case were recently acquitted based on what can only be described as the blatant entrapment by the Federal Bureau of Investigations. I have no idea why prosecutors brought this to trial. I guess they kind of had to after all the hype about the Whitmer kidnapping plot. Uh, of course, the case completely fell apart, or maybe more accurately, there never was a case to begin with. How about a fresh voice in here? Ladies and gentlemen, the senior editor of Reason, the great Robbie Sauvé. Robbie Suave saw some issues with the case from the beginning and spent a little bit of time investigating the facts, was kind enough to join us uh, before this. You predicted this, Robbie. I want to get to the merits of the case in a minute, but this from uh, NBC News, not from MSNBC, NBC News. A federal jury failed to convict four men accused of plotting to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, whom they despised for the restrictions she ordered earlier in the pandemic, as if it was the jury's fault. Yeah, right. Incredible. Yeah, incredible reaction. I'm seeing a lot of media kind of uh, misunderstanding of this case. 
Yeah, I saw a lot of uh, kind of crazy reaction from I Joy Reid had one with who is with MSNBC. I think people, if they didn't pay really close attention to this case, might not understand that that Gretchen Whitmer was actually never in any real danger because for the entire time of the so-called plot being organized, the FBI was completely aware of it and actually was paying an informant to make sure it went it went forward to the stage where they they thought they'd have enough evidence to arrest them, which is not what you hear. The jury was pretty clear because what happened at during the actual trial was what I thought an incredibly one-sided presentation by the prosecution. They pulled every trick in the book to make sure all of the evidence they wanted to present, they were able to present, and, and they were very good at shutting down anyone they didn't want to be able to speak. Uh, and still, the jury saw through this and said, well, wait a minute, uh, she was never in any real danger. And Wait a minute, who was the one organizing this? Who was the one saying, let's surveil Whitmer's house? Oh, it was the person being paid by the FBI? I think this is an example of sort of, you know, regular people having enough sense to go, yeah, these guys might be morons. Uh, you know, we can absolutely strongly object to the things they said. Maybe some other lesser prosecution would have been appropriate. But th- this was not they were not about to pull off the heist of the century. At, 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 they were at no point anywhere near doing that. <laughs> what an amazing show the FBI has given us once again. And I appreciate Homie pointing out our friends over at NBC News who blame the jury. I mean, no matter how blatant the hoax becomes, they never break character. And I can respect that. I mean, they stay right on the extremist angle. Even though there were no extremists and the FBI were the only ones on the planet pushing the kidnapping plot at any time. But the universe once again with just a hell of a sense of humor it turns out the patsies that the fbi tried to roll up in their kidnapping hoax were too stoned and dumb to entrap (laughs) oh my god quick hitter number two the fake fbi whitmer kidnapping plot look at the through line once again completely dishonest narrative driven into everyone on a Mack truck. An indie outlet like Reason, they figured out it was a scam immediately, but the large media, they just roll the truck. Entire news cycles about how scary the political extremists were, when the whole thing is just another shitty hoax. And I guess I should be thankful that Robbie and Reason didn't get their accounts suspended for pointing out right from the jump, hey, this is all bullshit. Moving on, quick hitter number three, the Johnny Depp case. (laughs) Just kidding. I don't give a shit about Johnny Depp or his lady friend. The real quick hitter number three is the Democrat National Committee and the Hillary for America Campaign Committee both recently signed conciliation agreements with the Federal Elections Commission for campaign violations. Yes, the DNC and Hillary for America agreed to pay fines that totaled 112 grand for their activities during the 2016 election. As a quick summary, 
If you're not familiar, a conciliation agreement is generally used to identify violations and implement remedies, but doing so without any admissions of guilt. Good system, right? The FEC finds probable cause that DNC and Hillary for America violated campaign laws when they hid their involvement in paying for the creation of the now infamous Steele dossier. However, instead of incurring the time and effort to litigate that matter, the DNC and Hillary for America just agree to pay a fine, but they do not admit guilt. I will post a copy of the conciliation agreements on the show board at archindependent.com. Quick hitter number three, the FEC. They finally got around to ringing up the DNC and Hillary's campaign for hiding all that dossier money. Jesus, the dossier and Russian collusion. That's the granddaddy of all completely dishonest narratives that were driven into everyone on a Mack truck. Just years and years of disinformation pumped out about that stupid collusion fairy tale. Which brings us to quick hitter number four. These are quick hitters, folks. They're coming at you fast. Number four. The United States versus Michael Sussman. Ooh. For those who follow such things, Sussman was an attorney for the DNC and Hillary-related entities during the 2016 election. Sussman has been indicted for lying to the FBI when he passed them phony collusion reports. <laughs> How kick-ass is that? Obviously, this is going to end up being the same through line again. Completely dishonest narrative driven into everyone on a Mack truck. The political media tech apparatus pushes a complete hoax. It's the same thing over and over and over. Pushing their collusion, kidnapping, laptop bat virus bullshit on everyone all the time. I mean, it's quite a trend. It's hard not to notice that one. Anyway, back to Mr. Sussman and his illegal predicament. Let's make this one a little bit of a longer hitter and get some quick background so everyone's on the same page. Attorney Michael Sussman was indicted for making a false statement to the FBI. Yep. It's our old friend, the process crime. And right as the statue of limitations on that process crime was running out, special counsel John Durham hung a 18 USC 1001 charge on Michael Sussman. But Mike's got a few dollars, so he'll fight the case. However, he just recently lost his motion to dismiss. And now currently his counsel is fighting with the government over what evidence will be allowed at the trial. They're also fighting over what is attorney-client privilege in this relationship between the attorneys and the Clinton campaign entities. Of course, post a link to the court listener over at archindependent.com or you can follow in Pacer if you have an account there. But the gist is, Attorney Sussman approached the FBI with what he called evidence of collusion between Trump and Russia. 
When he brought that information to the Bureau, he told them expressly, this is not on behalf of any client. And that was a lie. Sussman was working on behalf of clients. So, accordingly, the special counsel has now charged him with the 1001. Sussman has pled not guilty, and his primary defense is his lie, if it was a lie, was not material. So therefore, it's not a crime. There's about 80 items in the docket now on this simple process crime as these parties battle it out. Let's go to the highlights. The Office of the Special Counsel has shown how a federal contractor, Mr. Jaffe, misused his access to private data by providing it to a small group of Georgia Tech researchers who then hunted for a connection between Trump and Russia. But, surprise, surprise, they did not find one. So, they spoofed it instead. They just made up a bunch of traffic. Yeah, they made all the traffic themselves, and then they pointed to it as evidence of collusion. (laughs) And now the special counsel has access to Georgia Tech emails where these researchers were discussing how exactly they could fake the pings. And then they went on to talk about how their work was motivated entirely by their hatred for Donald Trump. (laughs) Anyway, the evidence in the record points to a pretty clear conclusion. Jaffe is in a lot of hot water because he likely committed fraud when he misappropriated the private data that he had access to. The Georgia Tech researchers began by looking for legitimate contacts between Trump and Russia. When they found none, they decided they would fake it. After they were done creating their little pings between Trump and Russia, they gave that data back to Jaffe, who returned it to Sussman, and Sussman brought it to the FBI. This type of political dirty trick is usually not a crime. However, Mr. Sussman brought it to the FBI. Hey, how neat is it that when you're the DNC attorney, you can just waltz into the FBI and start handing them data that you fabricated and they'll open an investigation into the opposing candidate. I mean, I guess that's I guess that's a conversation that we don't need to get into right now. We'll see if Attorney Durham ends up interested in any of those FBI behaviors. So far, he's over here doing process crimes. The process crime here is Sussman told the Bureau that some academic do-gooders had stumbled upon this nefarious connection between Trump and Russia, and Sussman was just bringing it to the FBI's attention because he's a good Samaritan. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Long hitter number four. The U.S. vs. Sussman, we shall see if a Washington, D.C. jury is willing to convict a DNC attorney, and I guess on a long enough timeline, we'll find out if special counsel Durham has anything more than these 1,001 process crimes to charge. Interesting through line there between the collusion, kidnapping, laptop, bat virus. Stand up to us, stand to the rafters, line up the- 